I'm Elizabeth Esty for the Emergency Medical Minute. Welcome to another edition of the COVID-19 Digest, the podcast where we give you the numbers and sort through the most pertinent research on COVID. It's May 7th. According to Hopkins, there are 3.8 million people on the planet who have or who have had COVID, and more than a quarter of a million people have died of the disease. The United States has 1.2 million confirmed cases, but as we don't really test, and many carriers are asymptomatic, it's hard to know how many people in the U.S. have the virus. We do know that more than 75,000 U.S. residents, including 944 Coloradans, have died of COVID. It's worth remembering that South Korea and the U.S. reported their first COVID cases the same day in January. In South Korea, population of about 51 million people, about a sixth of that of the U.S., 256 people have died of COVID. In Japan, 577 people have died of COVID. In New Zealand, 21. Singapore, 20. Iceland, only 10 people have died of COVID. Today, we're going to continue on the theme of repurposing tried-and-true interventions in our try-anything, try-everything attempt to fight SARS-CoV-2. In the U.S., few people receive vaccination for tuberculosis, a disease that hasn't been a major killer here for many decades. But while we in the U.S. mostly experience TB as a relatively rare but real threat in its multidrug-resistant form, particularly in patients with HIV or in Victorian novels, TB still kills 2 million people a year. There is a vaccine for TB, a live attenuated vaccine called BCG for Bacille Calmet Guérin. In fact, it's the most widely used vaccine on Earth, and an estimated 4 billion people have received it since it was first administered to a baby whose mother died of TB a few hours after giving birth in the summer of 1921. The connection of this vaccine to COVID caught my attention when a Russian friend suggested a few weeks ago that Russia and other parts of the world where BCG vaccination is routine might be shielded from the worst COVID outbreaks. In the intervening weeks, as Russia grapples with its own COVID epidemic, that possibility seems a little less tenable, but it did lead me down an interesting research path. The first published research or speculation on this that I could find came from Gonzalo Atazu of the New York Institute of Technology, who was trying to explain why some countries are harder hit than others. Atazu and his colleagues mapped BCG vaccination against per capita COVID deaths, adjusting for national income, and they did produce a semi-sort of persuasive map in their March 28th not-peer-reviewed paper, suggesting that there might be a correlation. Many, if not most, nations have BCG vaccination programs. China does. The U.S. hasn't for a very long time. Italy never did. The U.K. stopped vaccinating in 2005. The World Health Organization simply recommends that countries that have significant burdens of TB have vaccination programs. The authors uh, compared Japan and Italy, similar-sized nations with older populations, one without a BCG program and one with, and ran with that as a possible explanation for the national differences. I won't go into detail here. The link to the paper is in the show notes but I think it's not really worth the effort to digest this paper in full till all is said and done with this pandemic. There's clearly an element of luck in which countries are hit first by COVID. Only when every country has run its COVID course might it be possible to even try to 
begin to establish an epidemiologic relationship between COVID and BCG. Until then, it's too much of a moving target in my view. And of course, even if the correlation is there, correlation does not imply causation. I turned then to the WHO website, which just says, there is no evidence that the bacille Cabot guaran vaccine protects people against infection with COVID-19 virus. They add, quote, in the absence of evidence, the World Health Organization does not recommend BCG vaccination for the prevention of COVID-19. So correlation, even if it exists, doesn't get us that far. But what about biologic plausibility? How might BCG, a vaccine against a bacteria, be COVID protective? With the exception of BCG and a few others, we mostly name vaccines after their target diseases. This naming convention implies specificity. Measles vaccine protects against measles, tetanus against te tetanus, and so on. In fact, though, some live attenuated vaccines may protect against far more than their target infections. The nonspecific effects of vaccines have been recognized for a very long time. As early as the 1930s, a Swedish physician noted that after the BCG vaccine was introduced in Sweden, more kids survived to their first birthday, a finding that was remarkable because TB generally killed older children, not babies. It's long been known that BCG vaccination at birth protects babies from dying of sepsis and other respiratory infections, not just TB. In the 40s and 50s, in the U.S. and the U.K., researchers were surprised to find that vaccination, uh, BCG vaccination, reduced non-accidental death by causes other than TB by a quarter. In the decade since, an enormous amount of in vivo, in vitro animal data has accumulated too, showing that BCG protects against, for among many things, flu viruses and mice, as well as herpes type 1 and type 2 infections in animals. One of the leading researchers in the field of nonspecific effects of vaccines, Danish anthropologist Peter Abbe, became interested in this subject in his early days of working in West Africa. He published a paper in 1995 in the American Journal of Epidemiology looking at children in a remote area of Senegal for the six years before and the six years after the introduction of a measles vaccination program. After the introduction of the program, neonatal mortality declined 31%. For babies between one month and eight months of age, the reduction was 20%. And for the nine-month-old to five-year-olds, mortality declined by 48%. Of course, some of this improvement in life expectancy was from the specific protection against measles. But when Abby and his team excluded acute measles deaths, the reduction in mortality was still there. It was 16% for little babies and 32% for that nine-month to five-year-old kid group. There are studies, other studies, showing similar nonspecific protections elsewhere in Africa, in Bangladesh, and in Haiti, where vaccination for measles in particular seems protective against death from other infectious causes. Of course, Abby's research was all observational. To conclusively determine whether BCG or measles or any vaccine is protective against other infections would have required randomized controlled trials. And of course, you can't ethically do randomized controlled trials withholding vaccination from a control group of kids when these vaccines are proven to save millions of lives every year. So there have not been large-scale research in human subjects. 
It goes without saying that the immune system is complicated. It's evolved to respond in a variety of ways to a range of insults. When all goes well, the specific and nonspecific, the immediate and delayed responses to infection overlap and complement one another so that our bodies can deal with an unending incoming barrage of germs and harms. The adaptive immune system is a general term for the specific lock and key response to pathogens, and it's responsible for our immune system's incredible memory for specific germs, as well as the fact that vaccination works at all. For example, you're exposed to measles or measles antigens via vaccination. You're exposed for the first time. An immune cell recognizes a unique foreign protein and mounts a very specific response with successive waves of different types of antibodies and the eventual development of a team of measles-killing immune cells so that the next time around, the virus is disposed of promptly. This adaptive immune response takes a while to mount. And as we discussed in a previous episode, whether lifelong immunity occurs depends on the pathogen. It's why we need booster shots for some diseases. So, Though we don't know how long the immune memory for COVID might last, with adaptive immunity, what we get is a finely tuned pathogen-specific protection. There is, though, an evolutionarily older, much more rapid, less surgical strike type of immunity that humans equally rely on that's called the innate immune system. The cells and chemicals of this system react to anything out of the ordinary, whether a virus or bacteria, toxin, or the chemicals released when you cut your finger, and they react in a relatively scattershot, nonspecific way. It turns out that some vaccines, BCG included, activate that innate, nonspecific immune system as well as the adaptive immune system. A 2012 study by Dutch researchers in healthy humans found that vaccination with BCG led healthy volunteers vaccinated with BCG to mount an enhanced immune response to fungi and bacteria unrelated to TB. The researchers called this a training effect of BCG on the innate immune system, and they determined that it happened via epigenetic changes, uh, tagging methyl groups onto the monocyte's DNA. These same researchers took mice with severe combined immunodeficiency, SCID. Basically, these were boy-in-the-bubble mice, whose adaptive immune systems were completely wiped out. They gave half of these poor mice the BCG vaccine and then infected all of them with systemic candida. All of the vaccine, the BCG vaccinated mice survived, while only 30% of the control skid mice lived. From this pair of human and mouse studies, the researchers confirmed that this nonspecific protective effect of BCG vaccination is real and they pinpointed a theoretical mechanism for it. 2018, some of these same researchers came back with a new study where they vaccinated half of their human subjects with BCG, these are healthy humans, and then infected all of their subjects with yellow fever vaccine, which is also a live vaccine. So basically giving these people, all the subjects, a low-grade yellow fever infection. The BCG-treated group had far less yellow fever virus circulating in their blood than the control group did. Again, the researchers identified epigenetic changes, that is, tagging of specific little chemical groups onto uh, the human uh, immune cell monocyte DNA, 
as responsible for this training of innate immunity that allowed the vaccinated patients to clear the virus. Just an an aside, if BCG is ringing another bell for our medical listeners, a dim memory from medical school, it's probably that it's used in the treatment of bladder cancer, uh, where they directly instill BCG into the bladder, and the immune reaction it provokes there helps turn the patient's own immune system on the cancer cells. The World Health Organization website does mention that there are two clinical trials addressing the question of BCG and covid In fact, there are many more, including similar trials planned to see if the oral polio vaccine, a live attenuated virus not used much in the U.S., might also mobilize innate immunity. To give you a sample just of a few of these, a randomized placebo-controlled trial has begun in the Netherlands where half of a group of health care workers who have regular contact with COVID patients will be vaccinated. The researchers will follow absenteeism from work among these workers, as well as the cumulative incidence of hospital admission, ICU admissions, and death. Results from that one are expected in December. Researchers associated with the Max Planck Institute were already looking at a newly developed, new and improved TB vaccine that's based on the BCG vaccine. Their take on BCG is called VPM-1002. It's safer also better for bladder cancer than regular BCG. They're hoping to start phase three trials in the elderly and healthcare workers soon. Uh, Another example, Australian researchers are hoping to enroll 4,000 healthcare workers in a randomized phase three trial. Results of that one aren't expected until March, 2022. So we're not gonna know if BCG or OPV are effective uh, for quite some time. But if they can provide even some level of protection, obviously that's a very good thing, especially as these drugs are inexpensive and generally very, very safe. One thing that, as far as I can tell, no one has looked at is how long the boost to nonspecific innate immunity conferred by a live attenuated virus lasts. Even if it's just a few years, though, the benefits in COVID could be real. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Nate Novotny for his help with this piece. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.